Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Geekscapers, welcome to a brand new Geekscape podcast. Welcome back. If you guys are like, hey, Geekscape's my home. I want to hang out and see what Jonathan's got to say about movies, video games, and comics. Well, I'm honored because pull up a chair and find your place at the table. We're going to talk a lot of video games and some comics and some comic conventions and toys and all that stuff uh, coming up. We're going we're gonna to do this very much like a classic Geekscape. There's been a lot of politics and a lot of uh, serious issues on Geekscape over the last few months. And I'm like, you know what? We need to reset. Let's get ourselves serious because today would have been, moment of silence, the first night of Comic-Con. This would have been preview night and we would all be down in San Diego with Matt Kelly and Derek in the Geekscape team at the Geekscape booth. And uh, that's just not to be because the convention is now online. So Comic-Con at Home is going on. You guys can go check out Comic-Con at Home. I poked around at it, and uh, we got some new T-shirts. This is an old one, but we do have some new T-shirts. Those are live. I just haven't pushed them yet, because things have been busy. There's a lot going on here at Geekscape, and I'm super excited about it. I've got a great guest, my friend Brett Weiss, who's a bit of a gaming historian. He, He wrote the SNES Omnibus. He knows all about the Super Nintendo. He also uh, is is doing a new edition of the NES Omnibus. So if you guys are retro gamers, that's really what Brett's all about. He's like classic Nintendo, classic Super Nintendo. He's a big-time retro gamer. He's got a YouTube channel. He does the books. He does everything. He's here to talk to us about uh, retro gaming. I also want to do something that is new here on Geekscape. It's something that I haven't done in years, actually. But it's something I've always imagined that uh, I've always wanted Geekscape to have this element to it. I never wanted to do Geekscape by myself, not just having guests and things like that, but I've always wanted to have a co-host. Geekscape is supposed to have a co-host. It's always supposed to have a co-host. You can't just like watch me talk <laughs> movies, videos, and comics. Like, who wants to do that? Um, but... Uh, 
uh, there's another thing. I wanted to start doing Geekscape Lives in 2020. Well, that plan didn't happen. Uh, I wanted to get uh, do a monthly show here in L.A. where I could get up on stage and bring in guests and do some comedy stuff. And you remember Geekscape 400 where we had a 400th episode of Geekscape and it was live and it had like a late night table and all this cool stuff. And it was a bit of a variety show. That's what I want to do once a month. And I had a co-host for it. And then Corona. And then the pandemic and all this. And Geekscape Live in a theater once a month here in L.A. was not to be done in 2020. We'll do it in 2021. But it's not going to keep me from introducing my co-host. Let me just bring her out here. She's the funniest person I know. I think you guys will all agree with me. Uh, And she's been on Geekscape before. Here she is. My friend Katie. Katie, how are you? I'm doing well, man. That was such an intro. Like, I feel like I can't meet this. <laughs> no, I mean, you just watch me flub and talk for a bit and then just hit a couple softballs out, you know, just like. Just now, honestly, what stuff. I see right now is that you're in an abandoned building at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, last couple, weeks, take over? <laughs> last couple of weeks, I, had, uh, I put that chair there just so that people, like, no, no, it's my room. The last couple of weeks, I've been telling the Geeks Gavis that uh, Heidi roommate was moving out and we've been doing the show from Heidi's room. Uh, well, I'm not doing the show from Heidi's room anymore. I'm doing it from the empty room that her roommate literally left yesterday. I put that chair in here. So you know it's mine. That chair right there. It. You know it's mine. It's Jonathan. The roommate, the roommate oh. left it pretty dang clean. Like there was nothing on those walls. Well, yeah, I mean, I was, I was going to throw out all those posters. No. <laughs> uh, she, she took everything. Uh, she took everything. Uh, <laughs> But uh, she left amicably. I moved in, and it was always designed that this would be the office and game room. And we're in it, but there's nothing in it yet. So we're doing the episode before I moved in. There's a desk. I have a desk that I'm doing the show from. Sure you do. And I got my microphone. I'm going to start bringing in my gaming consoles. Nice. Setting them up. Setting up a game room. Setting up a little game room. Yeah. Uh, so that if I want to play video games, Heidi can be like, can you just do that in the game room? <laughs> Does that have to be something you do in the living room? Uh, she put up with me doing the show in her bedroom for months. I saw that. She has a very nice bed. I just want you to know that. For uh, months. You lucked out with that, but yeah. <laughs> Jim Pellegrinelli actually has a great note. And because I moved a lot of my stuff in storage and transitioned from my apartment to a storage unit and then slowly bringing stuff over, Jim actually has solved this problem that uh, Heidi and I have been discussing. And I think we're going to solve it right here, right now. Jim, I think you're right. I think it could use a giant Van Damme poster right behind me. <laughs> and I do have a giant John claude Van Damme poster. It should go right there. So when we have the discussions about maybe we should, you know, she's an actress like you are, Katie. Maybe if we have the discussions like, oh, we should keep that that that, that wall bare for, uh, you know, self-tapes and things like that. No. That wall is going to have a giant kickboxer poster on it. Well, I'll let you know. And, like, this is just for Heidi and all actors. We have set up, personally, a um, a little bar right here with a nice little backdrop that I could roll down for a lot of my auditions and other hosting gigs and things like that. You, uh, ins- you installed that? You installed that little... little... Yeah, it's just like a, it's like, a, uh, like a curtain rod. Okay. Yeah. So, Heidi, you're not watching this right now. <laughs> She's like, I'm not it. I'm not, I'm not on. Like I'm awesome. done. <laughs> But you will learn soon enough that that is what's going to happen. We are going to put a a rod across the wall over there. You can pull down a a blank wall whenever you want to do your self-tapes. 
but it's Van Damme time for the most part. And I mean, it's a glorious poster. I've had it since undergrad. It is. A, it's not just like a dinky Van Damme poster. It's Static. a. It's a subway poster. It's one of those giant posters they use in the subway. You got to get rid of the bachelor pad stuff, dude. <laughs> you have to merge. You have to merge. What? Are merge the styles. About? Speaking of bachelor pad stuff, today would have been the first day of San Diego Comic Con, and I was pretty upset about not being down there with you folks. But uh, Hasbro was like, Jonathan, we got something to cheer you up. So they sent me this box, and I was out running errands today. I went to the comic book store. <laughs> and I get this text with a photo that says, somebody sent you this giant box. And again, I just moved in, so mail is just now showing up for me. And so Heidi <laughs> sends me this picture of just this nondescript cardboard box. She just says, okay, you just got this package. Do you know what it is? I knew what it was. I didn't want to say it over text. I walked in. I got to tell you, my friends at Hasbro sent me this, a giant G.I. Joe box. So uh, this is a free product. I have to tell you that legally. This is they're not paying you. <laughs> this is free. Uh, that is a legal thing that they were like, hey, just let it, like, please tell your audience. We sent this to you as a free gift. Um, but I, I opened this thing. Check out, like, they've got this new series. Let me tell you about this new series. Uh, they got these things called, uh, you know, the classified series. And they're like the, the, the really cool Star Wars figures that, that everybody's fighting for at Toys R Us because you have to get, like, the special edition Mandalorian, you know, Star Wars black label version, and you got all these different, like, you've got it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's out of the corner, but yeah. So they sent me this box, and let me show you, like, they sent me five of these figures from the G.I. Joe oh, classified yeah. series. Now look at these things. These things are amazing. So here's Duke. Oh, my gosh. You got to go Duke. You got to have a classic Duke. Check that out. Dude, I'm telling you, my boyfriend would be going nuts right now for those. Your boyfriend's my boyfriend now. So you got Checked this. Uh, here's here's Scarlet. Look at Scarlet with the uh, Phil Noto artwork. Oh, that's there. so cool. Scarlet, she's got like a, you know, she's got the, the, the crossbow. crossbow and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, I've been watching. I've actually been watching a lot of GI Joe because Hasbro has them streaming on the YouTube. So it's just coincidence. Uh, I'm writing some Super Action Man stuff. And I'm getting into the mode of writing uh, some Super Action Man, so I watch a lot of classic G.I. Joe, and Hasbro has them streaming on their YouTube channel, so... uh, That's nice. I've been watching them, and then this shows up, so it's in the air. Here's Destro. Oh, my gosh. If you go to this website, the Hasbro Pulse website, there's actually, like, a pimp daddy (laughs) Destro, where he's it's a gold Destro, and he's got, like... Like, you know, the fur and everything. He's an arms dealer. He's a, <laughs> sure, there, yeah. There is a, there is a very Pimp Daddy Hasbro. That's awesome. And then here's... Mr. Hasbro one. loves you saying that. Pimp Daddy. Hasbro, thank you for the free gifts. <laughs> Please send me the gold Pimp Daddy Destro. Uh, here's everybody's favorite, Snake Eyes. Oh, yeah. so cool. Uh, you yeah. have to get Snake He's Eyes. He's awesome. Chicken. Yeah, Snake Eyes has, like, all the weapons. He's got literally everything. Mm-hmm. He's got that. And then my favorite, because he rhymes. I love it. And G.I. Joe, whenever he says his rhymes, Roadblock. Uh- <laughs> he's got a big-ass gun he's got. Flim Flam. That's he's a slam. Like a, that's like a gun from a... like That, that gun's ridiculous. That's, from, that's definitely from like an 80s What's up with this gun? <laughs> that will definitely... 
screw someone's shit. That would that would clear the robes, Rose. I forgot. Am I allowed to cuss on this podcast? Yeah, yeah. Why not? We just okay. like, you know, sure, new rules. So yeah, I got this. I got five new GI Joe classified. That's uh, awesome. Figures because I was crying about Comic Con being canceled. Who and Hasbro was nice enough to send me these G.I. Joe classified figures, and I was super, super stoked to get them. Because uh, <laughs> to finish the story, though, uh, so I get this box, I open it. You guys, you all just saw what was in the box, <laughs> and Heidi goes, "We've been cohabitating for maybe two weeks," and she said, "Do you get a lot of this stuff?" <laughs> Well, <laughs> well, <laughs> I've got the keys. It's too late. Do I get a lot of this stuff? That, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I say that to my boyfriend, and he's always like, you're on the lease now, so it's... Do you get a lot of freebies? Is that what happens? Is Listen, there going to be more toys? Is this not going to be toys? Is comics and toys? She hasn't seen the storage unit. Luckily, you've got an entire blank room to fill up. She has a like a classic tea set in the living room. I gotta explain that every time my friends come over. Thank goodness for Corona. I haven't been able to social. I was just gonna say <laughs> a Victorian tea set. The second you walk in, you're like, oh, nice. this is a Victorian tea set. Oh, that's also a very fragile thing there. So it'd be a shame if something were to happen to it. It'd be a shame if that crossbow went off. <laughs> Jonathan, what happened to my classic Victorian tea set? <laughs> That would be terrible. I never. I, I just want to go on the record. I never suggested it. I'm just saying it would be terrible. Katie, I, I love you. You're already a bad influence. This will work. I'm out. a terrible just, influence. I, I have to let you know. <laughs> All right, let's throw some comments, and I wanted to get Brett Weiss in here to talk some. I love it. Video games. Uh, Jim Pagardelli said, "I love that the four Joes that they sent you are the same ones the old Konami arcade game." You know, totally. You had Roadblock, Scarlet Duke. Snake Eyes, and those are the four that you could play in that uh, in the old school arcade, arcade game. game. Yeah, yeah, Jim, good way to see that. Um, and uh, yeah, so Neil Fisher also said, "Yeah, 2021, we're going to be down in San Diego. We're going to hang out and let's do some Geekscape Live." So I'm all for it. Uh, but Jim Pagnarelli also did say, "Roadblock is always down for some tea and crumpets." <laughs> You know he loves it. <laughs> what if Heidi just comes home and I have the G.I. Joe figures and I'm doing my little tea party? And what if you're just like talking as Roadblock and like, don't be a strumpet, eat some tea and crumpets. <laughs> <laughs> does, it neg- does it negate having a ton of toys if I'm having a ton of toys but celebrating the things that she has brought to the apartment? No, that's merging your taste. That's merging styles. You have to do that, dude. It's part of cohabitation. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Hand in hand. Hand in hand. I got a video game, you know, system, but it's got Tetris on it. You like Tetris? <laughs> you like Tetris? You know, there's VR Tetris. Yeah, yeah, you can do VR Tetris. <laughs> like if she has a nerve. I actually, I don't want to do that. She might turn into the lawnmower man and start becoming like super smart. I don't want to do that. She's already, she's already the you smartest person. You want to keep her dumb? <laughs> she's already the smartest person in the living room. Or she's already the smartest person in the apartment. I don't want her like transcending that, going into the into the internet and controlling our reality. Wow. Yeah. Don't no. Want, every good relationship starts with a lot of control. <laughs> so far, so bad. As if, <laughs> as if this is a new relationship. All right. Let's get Brett White in here. Uh, Geekscape is. Brett Weiss is, uh, well, he's a man. I've been watching his YouTube uh, show. 
Uh, he's got this YouTube series. If you guys check him out, um, let me bring up his YouTube channel. It's right there, Brett Weiss, Retro Gamer. Uh, and he's put out these books. So let me show you a couple of these awesome books that he's got going on here. Uh, he's, he published these, the SNES Omnibus, Volume 1 and 2, because there were so many games on there. So, like, Volume 1 went to the letter M, and then you went to the letter Z on Volume 2. Uh, dude has written a lot about retro games, and uh, he has a lot to say about them. Let's get him in here, because he's got an Indiegogo going up right now for the NES version of his Omnibus. Uh, Brett, how are you doing, brother? Hey, how are you guys doing? And gals? <laughs> We're doing all right. Yeah, hey. uh, we got we got to watch those pronouns, you know. It's, yeah, I consider guys like a like a dude thing. I call everybody dude. So I'm well, yeah. you're not going to smash the patriarchy with that attitude. <laughs> no, no. Listen, I, I have chosen I have chosen my things to take a stand for, and it's mostly pizza related. So, <laughs> <laughs> Brad, how are you doing, brother? Uh, what tell me, great. tell me a little bit about this because you did publish those omnibuses for the SNES. Uh, and then you also have a couple different uh, books out. What What is the story on this NES omnibus? Because you had a pretty successful Kickstarter campaign to get the thing rolling. Are you using Indiegogo now for the pre-orders? How does this, I don't know how it works. I don't know any of this stuff. That's a good question. So this was my very first Kickstarter, the NES Omnibus Volume 1, A through L. And um, this was my very first book ever to Kickstart because – I just, I'm new to the platform, and I've only recently started backing some projects on it. And I just discovered that it's a great platform for pre-orders. Um, now, typically, or traditionally, a lot of people think Kickstarter is strictly for an independent project that doesn't have a publisher, maybe, uh, to get funding for that so you can begin creating it. But more and more people are using Kickstarter as a pre-order platform. Mm. what I'm doing with Indiegogo as well. With Indiegogo, I'm just extending the pre-orders over to Indie Once I had a 30-day Kickstarter campaign, and once it ended, it was very successful. I was very happy about that. Um, people ask me, hey, you know, I, wanna, I still want to pre-order the book and maybe get some backer bonuses. So I've extended it over to Indiegogo just to keep the pre-orders going. That, that's the long and short of it right there. And the NES Omnibus itself, uh, volume 1, A through L, every U.S. release from A through L, alphabetical. And the reason it's split into two volumes, so every game gets a full page. Not it short change any individual game. And my publisher, uh, with the original SNES Omnibus, that was originally going to be one book, my publisher actually suggested two volumes. So I had to get one book, and so we decided to do that with the NES Omnibus as well. And what's different about these books, in addition to like a synopsis for the game and, you know, just some critiques and whatnot, and maybe just a little insight, I uh, have other writers involved, uh, industry people, popular YouTubers like um, John Lester, you know, Games 81, 8-Bit Eric, the immortal John Hancock, Kelsey Lewin wrote a story for the SNES Omnibus, uh, um, but for the NES Omnibus, I mean, I've got programmers developers, convention organizers, all these people contributed nostalgic stories. So in each book, maybe a half or so of the games have supplemental stories. And like you're showing page one of the Zelda chapter, it actually has three pages for Legend of Zelda. Most games get one page, but some of the bigger titles and some of the story uh, games that maybe some of the contributors had interesting stories for, 
uh, get more than one page, but maybe 30 or 40 of the games get, you know, a couple of pages. But Zelda being, you know, a biggie, gets three full pages. And you can see the back of the box right there. That's different than you're going to see in most books. Um, so, yeah, just these are big, massive coffee table books published by Schiffer Publishing, very respected publishing house. So these are, you know, really heavy duty, high quality pages, you know, sturdy, hardcover binding, the works. So, um and, and like I said, just Kickstarter, just a great way to, to take pre-orders and offer some backer bonuses like stickers, buttons, um, digital desktop, um, uh, just things like that. You know, your name in the book and that kind of thing. That's so, in order to write this stuff, you had to play like every single game. Yeah, oh, yeah. and, and, and the, the good thing about that is, is I've been doing this since the 90s. I used to write for a website called The All Game Guide. And so I got a ton of practice doing that. I've been collecting since my ColecoVision Vision in 1982. So I have a massive game collection. Store owners have loaned me games. Uh, some um, I've, I've played some, you know, just on discs, on discs, you know, like sure. some games um, that I didn't own or I borrowed, you know, and that kind of thing. So, you know, just one way or another. And the games that I'm, you know, just super passionate about that. I'd absolutely love, you know, I'll give a big full write up and review. And then um, like some of the insider insights, the stories from other contributors, they help with the reviews as well. Cause in their insights, they will cover, you know, what they don't like and like about the game. And then I'll also in these omnibus books, just so you don't just have my opinion and maybe some of the contributor stories, you've also got quotes from websites from respected websites and from vintage video game magazines, like in the NES Omnibus and the uh, SNES Omnibus, you've got, you know, quotes from like Electronic Game Monthly Magazine and Game Pro and stuff like that, just so you get a, you know, wide... Yeah, magazines that we read as kids. In the, yeah, in the- yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely. That, I miss physical media like that, you know. You started playing video games in the Coleco system back in 82, but in becoming a gaming historian, you, I'm guessing you've tried a lot of different stuff like the Vextrax and all these different weird retro systems. What's the weirdest yeah. retro system that you've played? Because I've played some really weird ones as well. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, it's it's fairly um, well known, but the um, the Nintendo, the 3D, uh, the Red system, the um, Virtual Boy. Yeah, the Virtual Boy. I actually got mine at a thrift store for nine dollars with the gun games within the box. And that, that's just a bizarre system because it's all red. And I had played it before that, but I just – I'm a late adopter frequently. I don't usually buy a system when it's brand new. I'll wait for the price drop or to find it used somewhere. And I didn't get the Virtual Boy right out of the gate because I was – Nobody you know, did. Well, right. <laughs> no that's the didn't. problem. Mainly because it was all red. I was like, I just don't – I like the idea behind it yeah. and everything. Yeah. I just couldn't get past it. Pretty good YouTube channel, not to not to slice from your YouTube no, videos, cool. but there's a great one called The Gaming Historian, and it's like oh, yeah. my, my lunch ritual to throw up like a 20-minute Gaming Historian video while I eat lunch. And he has a really great one about the Virtual Boy and how yeah. rushed it was. And it was not, it just was not a, a, a great idea to make that system. And then the person who had been working at Nintendo since the Game & Watch and before the Game & Watch, who, who was put in charge of the Virtual Boy, left Nintendo and then, mm-hmm. I, you know, it kind of was, that was like their last hurrah at Nintendo and it was a complete failure. But other than that, they had a revered 
like uh, they had a great idea. Uh, career. They had a great career. I don't know if they had a great idea. Had a great well, idea. Sometimes it's easy to think Nintendo can do no wrong because they do so much right, but then you right. know, that and how they didn't market the Wii U very well and things Which like that. Which is a system I love. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool system. I mean, I've got uh, I've got one, and I, I enjoy it. You know, when I get a chance, and um, uh, yeah, the gaming story is great. Norm's a good friend of mine. We've done a panel together at an Oklahoma gaming convention, and so yeah, I like his channel too. So cool. Great to plug other YouTube channels as we go. I'll, I'll have to come on Geekscape sometime because I'm a, yeah. I'm a big fan of that one. Uh, yeah. And he discovers things that I've never even heard of, like the fact that there, in Japan there was a. Uh, like a, a fishing radar for mm-hmm. fishing that you could attach to the Game Boy yeah. and go out on a lake and find fish. It was just a it was it was a pretty well designed and working radar for fishing. That was a, right. a, a Game Boy plugin. And the Game Boy was a pretty incredible system. When you make your omnibus for Game Boy, can I can oh, I have no. can I write a little well, bit in there? The problem, with the, the problem with the Game Boy Omnibus is there are so many games that are hard to get access to. I was just going to ask that, yeah, because I, yeah. I know there's got to be difficult NES games to begin with, but yeah. When, yeah, and, um, and the manuals are harder to access, and just the Disney titles, and I don't have access to enough of those games. But you're talking weird. So in the Game Boy, you know, there's a sewing machine game, you know, that you, you can hook up to that. And I forgot about that. Parts, we're talking about, you know, the Virtual Boy being red. There's another console where all the games are red. Do you know what that is? Was that the Valtrex? Was that the one that was the Vector? No, the Vectrex has vector graphics, and you put, yeah. it, it's just like, you know, there's no color, and you put screens over it. There's a console called the Adventure Vision. This is probably even stranger than the, uh, than the Virtual Boy. It's called the Adventure Vision. And it came out, I believe, 82, around that time. And it's a little tabletop. It's smaller than, than the Vectrex, and it only has four games. And the, the graphics are sort of a dot matrix design, and um, it is just bizarre. You know, it's got arcade ports. I believe Scramble is one of them. But it's just a really rare, really bizarre system, and that, that's definitely one of the stranger game consoles I've played. And then there's the uh, Microvision, which is – it was it was came out in 1979, and it was the first handheld game console – it had face plates instead of cartridges that you would put on the system. And, you know, it had maybe 15 or 17 games. It was Bradley, I believe, and it, it was not a success. But it was it came out 10 years before the game, before the game Boy. So if you were, anybody ever tells you the Game Boy was the first uh, programmable handheld console, tell them no, it was the Microvision from um, 1979. Got one of my game. You can't see it in the screen, but I've got one up there on the shelf. That's awesome. It's pretty interesting. There was a Star Trek game for it, a pinball game for it. And it's actually kind of playable. There's a breakout type game, but it's just little squares. I mean, the graphics are just little, like, dark black or gray squares. It's, it's, Did they have any E.T. game on that? or? <laughs> no, they didn't. But there, there's, a, there's an E.T. game on the Game Boy that's worse than the Atari 2600 one because it's just sort of a like a calendar and you know all this kind of stuff it's not really even a game but there's i didn't know that it's less desirable than the 2600 that's why you have to do the game boy omnibus brett to bring the knowledge of like that to the masses. i would love to if i ever did a game boy omnibus i would have to see with my omnibus books i write all the synopses for each game just like the nuts and bolts description of the game slash review you know just the capsule and then 
you know, I have these quotes and these stories about other people, and then I'll have my memories. But with a Game Boy on the bus, I would have to farm out the synopses because there's just so many games. There's games I don't have a lot of experience with, games I don't have access to. I mean, I remember when the Game Boy came out and I was walking around Toys R Us and I was like, someday these, this Game Boy stuff, this is not going to last because these little, the screen's small, the game gear is so much better. Yeah. yeah, these are just going to be dumped. You can you'll be able to get, be able to buy these for a buck or two a piece a year from now. And it didn't happen. No, Game Boy is one of the most successful consoles of all time, and I remember freaking out when uh, in 1991 my dad took me to Dallas, mm-hmm. or I believe you're, you are. And that's we, half an hour from me. Yeah, hey, that was one of the places where they held the Nintendo Championships, and my yeah. dad took me up to the Nintendo Championships and. 1991, we drove up from Austin, and one of the big appeals of it was they have 200 Game, game Boys on the convention floor that you can play. Cool. And oh, my gosh. I would have lost my mind. I was addicted to the Game Boy. Like, everybody I knew was addicted to the Game Boy. And the, from Tetris and uh, just going on with Mar- Super Mario Land, which is a weird game. And to go back to the Virtual Boy, the redemption for the Virtual Boy is there are some technological similarities between the technology that they use for the Virtual Boy to, uh, in the scanning technology that they ended up using again in the 3DS, which is a super successful system. Right. It was a, it was a stepping stone, you know, to right. technology. Just like the, the Power Glove was a stepping stone to, uh, you know, most Yes, yeah. So, yeah. When, but you didn't discover the NES until – how old were you when you got your first yeah. NES? Okay, so the NES obviously was test marketed in 85. And I don't know that I knew about the test market, but I was very well, well aware – I mean, I'm sure I knew about it in some sense. I just wasn't overly familiar with it. In 86, I became very well aware of it because I knew people that actually started getting it. Um, And I didn't have one yet because I was still playing the heck out of my Atari 2600, my ColecoVision, my Intellivision, Odyssey 2. Love those systems. I still do. I still play them on a regular basis. And I didn't feel like I needed an NES. I mean, I thought it, it sounded cool. People would tell me about Super Mario Brothers. I didn't go to I was 20 years old. Uh, yeah, you were playing something else, Brett. <laughs> well, in 86, yeah. I was 19, tw- you know, and then I turned 20 in 87, and I actually got an NES for Christmas of 1987 from my brother. That was a complete shock to me. That level gift. Uh, for Christmas in NES, and I thought that was awesome. I was really excited about that because I was already collecting games. I had all, you know, I had a lot of old consoles, and I had the Mattel handhelds, and I had, you know, a bunch of cartridges and all this stuff. Did you have the the power right? pad to get an NES? I'm sorry. Did you ever get the power pad? I did. I got it later at a thrift store. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, it was fun. You know, I remember World Crest Track Meet and Dance oh. Cheap and- and- Oh, of I course. This. Yeah. I was on the second floor of my parents' apartment building, and, and I'm sure we just destroyed the downstairs neighbors. <laughs> the neighbors hate you because you're trying to play track and field with your own hands. Yep. Yeah, you can get these astronomical scores. And, and with track and field, you got to cheat too. You get a pencil, put it on the buttons for track and field. You know, the game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there are no Konami codes in life. Okay, Brett. Well, speaking of that, so when Contra came out in 1988, uh, I had to get that. I loved the cover. I'd heard it was a great game, an incredible game. I did not know about the Konami code. I had no clue about it back at 88. I hadn't heard of it. And How'd so, you find out about it? I didn't find out about it till later, Nintendo Power and all that. And uh, Oh, yeah. Maybe a year or two later. But the first 
I played Contra almost nonstop for the next few days, and I ended up beating the game with just the lives you get because I played it so much, and I'm dancing and flipping and doing all this, you know, because just bullets. It's, it's basically. Hold on, Brett. Uh, Brett froze a little bit. Brett, if you can still hear me and you froze, uh, just jump back in, restart the browser, and jump back in. Um, I'm gonna open my mail. Um, we have a couple comments that for Brett. Oh, hell. There, there you are, Brett. Um, Brett, I'm having some issues with you freezing. Where are you at? There he is, Brett. We're having some freezing issues. Make sure that you like closed all your browsers and everything if you can. Okay. Everything on your computer is closed because you're having some streaming issues. Uh, I think that he actually did a little Max Headroom, Katie, because <laughs> Brett may not be a human. He might actually just be a, <laughs> he might actually be a digital construct. <laughs> can you see me now? We yeah. can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so is, am I coming through okay? Yeah. And, uh, well, one, one question we have from YouTube is Ricto, one of our listeners, says, Do you, did you ever have the expansion port that was the bottom of the NES? But I think Ricto has to be more specific than that because the once the Nintendo started going uh, into the late 80s and early 90s, Nintendo started adding a lot of stuff to try and keep the life of the, the system going. There are a lot of weird add-ons for the, for the NES. Yeah, I never and used that. The Genesis had a lot of weird add-ons as well. Uh, and that was my system. That was the first one. I bought with my money, and Sonic was my game. Um, but of course, we had the NES. We got we got it for Christmas in '86, and and we were addicted to the thing. Um, and that kind of opened it up. But we also traded a lot of games with the neighbors, right? You you would oh, yeah. you always end up with bad games, like yeah. the Friday Thirteenth game. You'd think it would be cool. Friday Thirteenth game kind of stinks. The X Men game you'd think would be awesome. The X Men game is terrible. It's absolutely an abomination. Small characters and a bad overhead viewpoint. And I remember, so I had Hydlide, which was a horrible role playing game for the NES. And I was going to ask you about the worst NES games of all time are, since you're you're the man to answer this question. Well, that's that's one of the worst to me is Hydlide, and I had the game, and I bought. I don't know why I bought it because I'm not even a big role playing game fan, but somehow I bought Hydlide. Maybe it was a sale or something. And I worked at a place called Lone Star Comics. And um, there was a friend of mine that worked there. He had X-Men for the NES. And I'd seen the box for X-Men. It looked incredible, the box art. And he told me it was horrible. And I told him Hydlide was horrible. And we we traded just a complete trade, knowing that he had the worst games ever. <laughs> as bad as X-Men. And I knew that X-Men couldn't be as bad as Hydlide. But neither one of us wanted on that one because they're both horrible but i think i ultimately won because the x-men looks good on the shelf but that's about it <laughs> i just couldn't understand it you're running like straight up on the screen and cyclops is using like laser blasts it is a completely confusing it's game uh, but there were also some really good superhero games on the on the NES, like the Tim Burton Batman game. Oh, God. Oh, so good. all-time NES games. I have never talked to anyone that didn't love that game. Yeah. Because it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it looks great. It's got great beat-em-up action, and it's really cool. Yeah, we got uh, Ricto again saying the X-Men were his favorite comic, but the LGN uh, NES game was so bad, I never played another <laughs> X-Men game. And, and it actually means he missed out on, on some pretty cool games. There were some great ones. On the uh, on it's like the, you got uh, food poisoning with gaming. Yeah, the Genesis had a couple <laughs> of 
4K uh, NES games. And I actually thought that the solo Wolverine game that they did on the NES. On the Genesis. Uh, no, on the, the NES. One, I think the solo NES platformer, they had a Wolverine platformer on the NES that was okay. Um, but Jim, Jim Pogarelli is going to ask you, better port of Double Dragon, the NES or the Genesis? You'd think that the Genesis has the technological advantage on that one there, Brett. Well, the Master System Double Dragon actually had two players simultaneous, which that might be what it means. Like the and then um, the NES version lacked the two-player simultaneous during the you know full game mode. Now there was, if I recall, there's a beat, there's like a fighting uh, like sub game mini game on the NES version where you can play two players simultaneous. Yeah, Double Dragon. So technically, there's two players simultaneous. Maybe the- not. But not so much. It didn't have it in the story mode. But I got Double Dragon back in the day. It was $50 when it came out, Double Dragon. Wow. You know, in 80, whatever, 90, whatever it was. And, um, was it 89, 90, 91, whatever. Whenever Double Dragon came out, um, it was 50 bucks, which was, uh, you know, compare that to today's money. It's probably 100 or something. But I loved it. I thought it had solid beat-em-up action. But technically, the Master System one is better. And then there were sequels that went on to re- Couple of sequels on the NES that were pretty solid. And then, that's a that's a movie so, they could reboot at any time. So, in this this question is to you too, Katie. Yeah. What would you say is the worst NES game of all time? I would say that the X Men game, just because my heart was shattered, was pretty bad. But there there have to be worse games. I so I never played the X Men game, but my personal one it plays that, you. That you don't it play. Pl- it plays. <laughs> right, it plays you. Play it if you play the, that the one that killed me was the Ninja Turtles one. That the original one, one where you had yeah, the original, the not the arc, the arcade one was great, uh, sure. but no, the original NES one. I was like, what are these characters and what are these bad guys and why is this the hardest game ever? Refusing <laughs> the bombs underwater is a great way to have gray hair as a kid. And then mm-hmm. there was a sequence of the game after you successfully defuse the bombs <laughs> where you then end up on a roof and you have to figure out how to throw a rope across a rooftop to access the rest of the map, and there's I never pre internet. There's nothing. Nobody at the school, nobody at the lunch table knew how to do it. There's nothing online. There's nothing in Nintendo Power. There is no online. None of your friends know how to do it. You just had half a game because yeah. you got to this impossible place where you didn't know how to throw a rope across the building to access the rest of the map. Because remember, you you do the top down thing, and then you go into these levels. I gotta say, the best game to do it. That was also a uh, an adaptation from a, from a licensed game. I'm going to say one of the gems, Fester's Quest. Don't at me. Fester's <laughs> Quest movie came Fester's out. Quest is playable. Fester's <laughs> Quest playable. was a pretty good game. I like that Solid. game. I think it was a ripoff of a little bit of uh, of uh, Master Blaster, but Blaster Master, but it was okay. I liked it. I liked it. I was also ten. Um, <laughs> Right, so, I think Ninja Turtles was the one that I first rage quit anything. <laughs> it wasn't Battletoads. No, I honest because I didn't play Battletoads when I was a kid. I it was like I, I think I got like worn off by like just the Ninja Turtles game. I was just like, no, I can't do anything amphibian like anymore. <laughs> How about that and pause? You remember the pause music in Battletoads? No, no oh, Battletoad, and it just rocks out. It's crazy. Which, which, you know, there's rumors. There aren't rumors. There are actual screenshots of somebody developing a brand new Battletoads game. I, I hope that they bring back some of those retro tracks because I remember some of them, especially from the, the jet ski level. 
Yeah. Uh, Jim Pagarinelli over in Brooklyn says the original TMNT was ridiculous. It took forever, but I was so proud of myself when I beat that you fucker. Jim Pagarinelli. No, he's a liar. Katie, don't. No, I'm Katie, welcome to Geekscape. <laughs> most, most of them are liars, okay? Like, well, it's funny if that. If they come to me as a resource, chances are the rest of their lives are not good. Okay, well, there were so many hard games on the NES uh, that kids were playing, like the original Ninja Turtles game, like you said, difficult and convoluted and kind of tough to figure it out, especially if you don't have the manual. And, you know, when people started renting games, you know, there were some con- like Platoon and Predator, you know, yeah. uh, games like that, you know, kids are renting or, or teenagers. Oh, this is going to be great. And then they get home and there's just, just terrible, terrible games. You don't, you're not really sure what to do because they're kind of nonlinear. <laughs> I I remember in the uh, Total Recall game, you know, mm-hmm. you're playing. It's a side-scrolling game. It's similar to the RoboCop game that you're playing, and you're playing games for movies that you're not allowed to see, but you saw them. <laughs> yep. and, right. and a little person that attacks you <laughs> in the Total Recall game, he comes out of like a trash can or something, and he, <laughs> he kicks you out. I remember you had to really look out for that guy. <laughs> you, know, you just remember going oh, just. You may think you're doing well on this level, but that little bastard's going to jump out of a trash can, and it's all over. Um, Bayou Billy is that uh, you know is that white exploitation? The Bayou Billy game is that a, <laughs> is that a <laughs> Remember the game? It's you a difficult game, Bayou? and it's it's definitely the redneck the redneck. Do you remember Bayou Billy? I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to bring up a picture of the adventures of Bayou Billy. Um, yeah, <laughs> Jim, Jim. What about for you? What was the worst game? I'm sorry, Brett. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> I was looking at I was looking at the Jim comment. <laughs> it was it was Hydelide. The, the most disappointing one might have been a tie between Super Pitfall and Superman. Oh Two, yeah. Sorry, twenty six hundred. Pitfall is amazing. Pitfall two is even better. Believe it or not. And this Pac Man is better than the original Pac Man. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But gosh, Super Pitfall was just dreadful. Horrible controls. Just clumsy action. And Superman was really disappointing. Once again, beautiful box art. I believe it was Kurt Swan or uh, just one of those classic Superman Superman artists. Yeah. Gorgeous art. But uh, man, just put it on your shelf, man. It's a good looking box. (laughs) Uh, I mean, Superman is like the super deformed (laughs) cartoon guy. And, you know, with the the NES, you know, a lot of games have these types of, you know, anime looking characters. Because, you know, they were. You didn't have the graphic power to have super realistic, but they could have done better than that. I mean, Ninja Guy character looks good, you know, Castlevania. Sure. But Superman looked terrible. Some of those games are beautiful. It was always a licensed game. I just wanted to add, like ask you, I got the here's here is uh, the Adventures of My Billy uh, cover. Uh, but I like ask yourself, let me see. Uh, this this is a this is a white exploitation game, is it not? Like, look, it looks like a <laughs> Why is like, his head so low? <laughs> he looks like a roided out Jim Barney. <laughs> yeah. like he, he's like, uh, he, he you remember Jim good. Barney? He, play, he played Ernest P. Worrell. Like Ernest oh, goes yeah. to camp. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this I remember like Ernest. Ernest. Like he Ernest does. And murders Ernest people. didn't have the, the muscles uh, or the, the pecs of this guy, but he definitely has the face. <laughs> Billy doesn't have a neck is what's going on with Billy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then also, Billy's got a chick back there who's really about to pop out. She's yeah. being kidnapped. 
by this bad guy. By this guy. Keep us for listening to the, the podcast version. We apologize, but leave us a review. <laughs> Just leave. look up the image. <laughs> this is what I want you to do if you're only listening to audio. I want you to go to wherever you got this podcast. Don't hit unsubscribe. Just leave us a nice review. And then <laughs> go online and find the adventures of Bayou Billy screenshot. Um, <laughs> if, you're, if you're listening to this podcast... <laughs> You know, women were podcast so often, don't like it. Just like it. <laughs> in the NES era, women were basically there to be kidnapped. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, Rick Doe says, wasn't there a villain named Cajun Cutthroat in Bio Billy? I guess. Was there? <laughs> I can only hope there was. Oh, that sounds, no. that, that's probable. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. I think that Bayou Billy's character is probably a descendant of Custer from Custer's Revenge when you're going down to like serious <laughs> asshole video game characters who are potentially extremely racist. Yeah, I don't know if Bayou Billy ever raped anyone, though. <laughs> What's also weird on the NES is that you see these games that come out and they make a little bit of a splash on the NES, but then when the next generation comes out, one or two generations later, they become huge franchises. Metal Gear wasn't really a game that we all thought was pretty. It was cool. You could talk on the radio. It had a little bit of stealth in it. But it, we didn't have the patience for Metal Gear. But <laughs> I certainly it, didn't. <laughs> it became a classic. And then you obviously the Final Fantasy franchise turned mm-hmm. into something huge. The Dragon Warrior franchise was my first RPG. I'm sorry you had to play Highlight or whatever it was. Highlight, <laughs> yeah. But like that first Dragon Warrior was incredible. Well, Dragon Warrior was given away to Nintendo Power subscribers, so a lot of people had it. I think that's how I got it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Leg- uh, Dragon Warrior and Legend of Zelda were, for a lot of people, the very first role-playing uh, games they ever played. Even if they're not, maybe Zelda's not a pure role-playing game, at least it has those elements. It has the elements, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people, those are the first RPGs that, you know, in the, in the West that they played. And the NES, one reason the NES is so freaking iconic is because of these legendary um, IPs that began on the NES. I mean, outside of maybe Space Invaders and Pac-Man, which be, you know came before the NES, the NES is just wow. Like I said, it just started so many incredible. I mean, Castlevania, Metroid, on and on and on, just just phenomenal. Yeah, uh, no, I think that it defined a lot of our childhoods. Uh, one of the games that didn't survive off of. Uh, this did not turn into a franchise, but off of Twitch, we've got our good friend Wizard of Video Games from uh, Canada saying, Chubby Cherub was just, I don't even know. <laughs> you remember Chubby Cherub? Uh, well, it was it was maybe the first nude character you played in the 8-bit yeah. era. Like yeah. Maybe. <laughs> We're also getting a lot of love for the Goonies game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it was like Goonies 2. I think Goonies 2 was a better version, right? Goonies 2 was a better game than Goonies 1. What would you say? Well, I'm trying to remember what on the NES, wasn't it just Goonies 2? Um, I think there were both games on the NES. I think both games had... Off the top of my head, Goonies 2 is the one that's coming to mind right now. Yeah. Sure. I remember those are great. Uh, and then there was a Nightmare on Elm Street game. Uh. Freddy's Floating Head was one portion of it. A lot, like you said earlier, a lot of horror games that we were... <laughs> Like movies you couldn't see, but they, but they were games. Jaws was one of those that, like, I didn't see it as a kid, but I played the game and it terrified me. But it was so good. Like the, the game scared you. Yeah, that's cool. 
I know it's it's like a such like I go back and like see it now and it's like oh wow I was never meant to watch any horror or anything like that <laughs> but yeah I mean it's such a simple game but like the tension mm -hmm. that it brought just like that fin just chasing mm -hmm. after you just, yeah you have to ram Jaws at the end of the game and everything <laughs> yes which isn't which is from Jaws four the movie yeah. Jaws four which is where Jaws has a personal vendetta against this family, which is kind of a ridiculous right. plot. Yeah, anything after one was just an interesting movie. <laughs> well, where the shark goes down to the Caribbean on like a blood vendetta with mm -hmm. yeah. Mario Van Peebles. And I remember Mario Van Peebles is the, like the Jamaican dude in Jaws 4, and he gets Yaman. killed. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, uh, and I think that's also one of the movies that when somebody looks at uh, at Michael Caine's career, they're like, "Dude, why did you do Jaws four? He's like, "We were shooting in the Caribbean. I was going to be yeah. there for why months." Made <laughs> money. Michael Caine, he likes, he, you know, you give him a check, he'll be in the movie pretty much. <laughs> right. no. he was great as Alfred. So I've heard he his whole thing is like, <laughs> I look at the script, and if I'm on the first page and the last page, I do the movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good I, way to do it. I was well, like, Brett, well, you know what? All right. Brett, what would you say is the, like, what are some of the best NES games? Because uh, Jim Pagranelli says original pro wrestling was a personal favorite. Good replayability. You could buy oh, it man. on Amazon. You could buy the dude's head. So many people love pro wrestling because it was the first console wrestling. That's another thing that makes the NES iconic is a lot of types of games. Yeah. NES was the first experience with it. Uh, people that didn't live through Atari or in television area, pinball was their first uh, pinball console game, and Mario was in it, which was amazing. Um, as far as the best of all time, there's a lot of obvious choices like Castlevania 3, Super Mario 3, the original Super Mario Brothers. Super Mario Brothers 2 is amazing, and I remember playing through to the end on it, which was just huge because... You know, if you play uh, All Stars on the SNES, that all you know that has the trilogy, there's save points. But right. Memory serves. You couldn't save save on uh, Super Mario Two, and I remember beating that, and that was that was cool. But man, um, let's see, Batman, which we mentioned earlier, is one of my favorites. That's one of the best games. Uh, Hidden Gem is Felix the Cat. It's a lot. Have you guys played that? It's a lot like Mario Brothers, except you get to ride vehicles. It's cute. It's not as hard as, like, say, Mario 2 or 3, so it's a real relaxing platformer because you can just kind of kick back and have fun with it, and he's got his magic bag, bag of tricks, and it's like, you like Super Mario Brothers, and you like Phoebus the Cat? Incredible game. I, I'm going to check that one out. It's like, oh, it's great. I yeah, just it's fun. I'm getting all the money. Katie, that's cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, Felix the Cat was like one of those weird things that I felt like I was the only person in the world who knew about it. You, know? <laughs> you had one of those clocks. Remember the things I, like, I didn't have that, but I do. Everybody knew Felix the Cat for the Felix the Cat. So. I don't think those were licensed, but they sure looked a lot like. They Felix. sure looked like them. <laughs> yeah, but those are great. And um, let's see, uh, Gorilla War or Gorilla War? Have you played Gorilla War? No, I lived it. What? Game. <laughs> it's called Gor Gorilla War. It's a run and gun game, but it's probably my the. One of my favorite run and gun games of all time. Just a phenomenal game, you know. Like, so it's not like—is it like Gunsmoke in the way that you're kind of running? A little bit, out? top down, uh, uh -huh. straight ahead, you know, up the screen. And, Ikari Warriors. Um, Ikari Warriors was the Ikari shit. Warriors. Yeah. Don't, don't yell at me, please, sir. This is my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Atari well, Warriors, yes. Atari Warriors for the it's an arcade port, but the thing about Akari Warriors for the NES, there's one tragic flaw in this game. You can oh, no. get stuck behind barriers. So, and I experienced this firsthand back in the day. My brother yeah. and I were playing this, and two player. It's a pretty big game for eight bit. We were a couple hours in, and I got stuck at the bottom of the screen behind a barrier. And he, my brother in law, is higher up the screen. He moved back, didn't you know? That didn't enable me to get out. You couldn't blow up anything. You're just completely stuck. And then years later, you know, I'm reading reviews, and that's the fatal flaw in Akari Warriors. But it's fun. You know, you're, you know, side by side, two player simultaneous couch co op. So great on the NES. There's so many games that do that well. One of the all time favorites from Jim is Super Dodgeball. Good Ah. Super player versus player. Super Dodgeball gets overlooked. I liked uh, as well. It was a tough game. It, it didn't explain itself very well, so you had to kind of fumble through it. Was um, oh, what was the one uh, one that was based on the Japanese manga um, where you're a spy? I, I mentioned it a few weeks. Go go thirteen. Go go thirteen. Go go thirteen. That was a weird one. Uh, yeah, but, very adult. It was awesome. Uh, George, George Pepe said TNC Surf Designs. Oh, yeah. Great graphics. Good platforming action. That's a fun game. I like 720 California mm-hmm. games. Nice. Uh, nice. Wizard of Video Games back in Canada says, did you hear about the unreleased Days of Thunder game that was found recently? It was not worth the wait, but it is interesting. Some of these licensed games would come out and then not happen. Yeah, it's interesting that they still find ROMs today, all these decades later, that they're still finding ROMs for these games. And it's really cool when someone will take the time to either just put it online, you know, for anyone. To something, yeah. Yeah, or I, I really love it when they put it in the cartridge and offer it for sale. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the oh, sorry, I was just going to say one of the coolest ones that they did was when they re-released when they released the SNES Mini and they threw Star Fox Two on it. I think Star Fox Two would have changed that franchise. It is an awesome game. Yeah, and they, it seems like it's a Star Fox, like a sort of a run and gun or a platform game or something on the yes. GameCube. Well, yes, Star Fox was fantastic on the uh, SNES. Yeah, it absolutely was. I loved yeah. it. The, the, the graphics are. Adds like a okay. map system and like kind of a, an RTS system to it where you had to decide where to defend and what missions mm-hmm. to take on because. Like I said, you have it's a little bit of a real time strategy map strategy thing going on with it that made the game a lot better. I think it would have totally changed that franchise because you're right. When it got to the GameCube, it was a weird thing where you land on the planets and you deal with dinosaurs and stuff, and it was just yeah. And if Star Fox Two would have actually come out, they might have just done Star Fox Three as a shooter, just as a regular shooter, like on the Super Nintendo. So that in that sense, they it might have changed the franchise. Yeah, Star Fox today, you look at it and it kind of has. You know, primitive polygon graphics, but but for that time, it was really impressive. Yeah, I was just going to ask really quick um, of the licensed games, like you know, like Batman or whatnot. What was some mm-hmm. of your favorites? Mine was Chippendale. Oh yeah, that's, that's solid. That Duck game's shit. Chippendale is fantastic. Yeah. Well, the graphics were really nice on that. I mean, you know, there were so many games with cartoon-like graphics, and Ducktales, obviously. Oh was, yeah. Yeah, love the pogo stick maneuver. Yeah. Oh, man, I forgot about that. I think Brett, Brett froze again. I think he may have gone back into the Internet. He'll come back. <laughs> he Brett will. Will come back. 
Uh, Jim Parker now is yelling uh, <laughs> DuckTales. Uh, okay, Wizard of Video Games did say, I'm not Canadian, but I drink like one. <laughs> I, I actually have, I thought, uh, yeah, okay, I won't even try to address it. I, I have two old Geekscapists confused and Wizard of Video Games, I'm sorry. You're a casualty of my stupidity. How like, dare you. The existence of this entire show. Uh, it's okay. At least you didn't say that the guest was a different name, so that's fine. No. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. Rick, Rick does that. Katie, you'll never forget my name now. I, no, I won't. Gem. Brett. A hidden gem was Excitebyte, where oh. you could recreate your own levels. I would say that was no hidden gem. Mainstream. Very mainstream. I, I came to that late, though. That was hidden gem for me, though. Mm-hmm. That was insane. I guess it depends on your experience. It could have been yeah. a hidden gem for him, for that person. If there's a level based on it in the new in Mario Kart 8, I think that you're. I know it's an expansion level, DLC <laughs> level, but it, but it is mainstream. Did anyone, uh, Rick though also asked, actually have fun with the game genie beyond the novelty of doing really high jumps or just <laughs> cheating? Uh, yeah, I mean, you're talking to Brett, who beat Contra without the Konami code, and uh, Jim Pugganelli's watching, and he claims to have beaten the original team. Yeah, just, so we, don't, we don't have cheaters here. I, I couldn't afford the Game Genie or anything like that. I remember also on the N64, my friend had a Game Shark, and I was just like, "What? what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> well, some with some of these games, sometimes it requires, you know, it takes cheats to see later levels. I mean, some of these games are so hard, you might not ever get past level three or four, and if they don't have level selection, you might never see level five through eight of a game you paid 30 to $50 for. What would you say is one of the hardest games? I mean, we talked about Battletoads. We've talked about some, oh, of, these um, some of the toughest ones. Well, we've mentioned, you know, Battletoads is extremely difficult, and um, let me see. I'm just so great. I, none of them. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I'm not – as, you know, when I first had my NES in my early 20s and everything, I was a really better player at it because <laughs> there's no way I could beat Contra now all the way through. You um, just you learn the patterns. It's all yeah. pattern recognition. You learn them. We don't have the patience for that right now. <laughs> yeah, or the, you know, 52 years old now, I don't have the... Uh, the, the dexterity. Dexterity or the, you know, getting kind of long in the tooth. <laughs> I think, I think we, there were so I, I many... Thought has spoiled us as gamers. Yeah. Yeah. I will say playing Ghost of Tsushima right now, there's a ton of different like gaming compo like button combos that I'm like, I like need to write these down now because I can't remember what everything is. <laughs> you you will never be a true samurai if that is what you're if that No, I'm, I already am. I already am. The original Ghost of Goblins is deadly difficult. <sighs> it's it, during the peak of my NES years, early twenties, I played that one just an insane amount of time, but I only got to maybe the Sixth level, I think. I never beat it all that time I played it, and I loved it, and I thought it was incredible fun. And I would just, it was just brutal. It's just a few mistakes. If you did, just the platforming was so difficult, in addition to the, you know, flying projectiles that are coming at you. So much perfection had to be achieved throughout the game. Yeah. Brutal. If you Did don't you, play it, it's full of sweat, frustrating. <laughs> you turn it, it doesn't help that you explode into a skeleton upon failure. <laughs> That's right? right? Yeah, like, humiliates you while you go. That character, <laughs> Arthur, literally explodes into like you said, first off, he gets he basically gets to run around in his underwear if you get hit. 
And then if that's not enough humiliation, you exploded a like a skeleton. Um, Let's debate an old man. Hey, you said bubble bobble. One of our wizard video games. <laughs> bubble bobble was hardest for me because I could steal. I would steal the pa candy power up, and my brother would punch me. <laughs> what happened? That's hilarious. Uh, George Pepe says, "Is Ghosts and Goblins the game where when you beat it, you have to do it all over again and really beat it?" <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm, I don't heard there was a Genesis harder game. mode it opened up, but I was never able to achieve that. Spider-Man on the Genesis. Uh, when you if you didn't play in the hardest setting, it, you'd get to like. Right before the last level, and the kingpin would come out and be like, "Yeah, sorry, you got to do something over again." What a kick in the gut! Oh my gosh! <laughs> I think we just started a war here with Jim in the comments. He said, "I did beat TMNT. If you need me to go to my mom's house, grab my old NES, and that card you should do it again. I will. It's yeah. all about stockpiling the magic scrolls and the lesser turtles and playing through most of the game with Donatello." Oh, I would love. Jim, to know I totally who believe the you. Was. I believe you one hundred percent, Jim. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think you just got a new subscriber, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> that was my goal. Yeah, absolutely. So let's remind the Geekscape is that while we're having fun, we want you guys to go to uh, Indiegogo right now and, and check out the NES Omnibus. That's Volume One. It's the first volume of it. it it'll take you through the game titles A through L. Uh, and that's up on Indiegogo. Let me take a look at this uh, Indiegogo and maybe talk us through some of the uh, cool incentives that the Geekscapers can get if they go and check it out. Um, here, you know, there's a handsome dude right there. And <laughs> on the Indiegogo, there you are, Brett. And uh, this is just for pre-orders. Like the book is done, the book is made. You're using this for pre-orders, so and that's why you put it on Indiegogo because they're not going to drop you if you don't make a goal. So right. Geekscape is he's up for another 30 some odd days when you're listening to this. But there's cool incentives for uh, ordering a copy of the book. How much is just like the basic copy of the book? If right? you just want the book, I'll ha be happy to sign it, to personalize it, however you want. And I'll throw in a bookmark. And I usually throw in some random object, something from my office, a signed Twin Galaxies trading card or something. But just the book signed direct from me is 50 bucks plus shipping. Okay, and then if you if you go just go a little extra and do sixty dollars, what is that? Oh, it's that's the hardcover. Well, what does that give you? Well, they're both hardcover, and I put in I, I don't off the top of my head. There's like there's stickers, there's buttons, there's things like that. There's there's a now the seventy dollar that's the uh, signed numbered edition. So there are a hundred uh, signed numbered editions mm -hmm. through a hundred. Around eighty of them are sold or so sold uh, through the Kickstarter. But there's roughly 20 left. So if you want to back it for $70, you get the numbered edition. It's the same book. It's just signed and numbered, limited to 100 times. I like this uh, deal here where you actually get for $90 both volumes, the, the first and the second. You'll get all this. Of the, of the SNES. Uh, the SNES. Yeah. You're going to get the SNES Omnibus. In addition, you're going to get both copies of the SNES Omnibus in addition to the NES Omnibus? Or? Okay, so there are separate tiers. Okay, talk to me. Talk Card to me. covers, the two <laughs> SNES books, so you just get those. And then as you go, there's, there's different options. You know, like that one, you get the NES Omnibus plus both SNES books. Okay, and that one's 135 bucks. The entire bread. Wait, wait, wait a minute. I'm looking at this 240 deal. And mm -hmm. it's the NES Omnibus plus six other books. I'm guessing two of those six other books would be the SNES Omnibus Volumes 1 and 2. But then, mm -hmm. are you just throwing in four books that you're, like, taking from your wife and just throwing in there to get out of the house? 
Yeah, there's like cookbooks and all those Jody book cookbooks. How to train your dog. Just books that we can't donate to Goodwill right now. <laughs> That's it. No, so the NES Omnibus Volume One will actually be my eleventh book. Okay. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I wrote a series of books called the Classic Home Video Game Series. That series began way back in 2007. And the original Classic Home Video Games book, it's called um, Classic Home Video Games 1972 through 1984. I didn't send you a picture of that one, but just briefly, it's every U.S. release for the Atari 2600, Television, ColecoVision, Valley Astrocade, Arcadia 2001, Vectrex, you know, Odyssey 2, all these consoles. And classic Home Video Game series, these were the first books to fully catalog and, you know, have a synopsis for every single game for those consoles, like the NES, the, the um, you know, Volume 2 covers the NES area, era. Volume 3 covers Genesis, Neo Geo, and TurboGrafx. Those systems came out in 89. So there's a, there's a three-volume set. They're just paperbacks. They're black and white. You get some box art and cartridge photos. So they look relatively primitive compared to um, the, the, you know, the omnibus books. So what... Let me tell you what happened. Here's how it started. So back in 97, 98, I was writing for the All Game Guide. This was an online database to describe, catalog, and review every single game ever created for every console and computer and every arcade game as well. It was this massive project that was being you know, crowdsourced. And I was uh, a writer for the website, and I eventually became an editor. And I was writing hundreds of... Uh, synopses and reviews and everything for all these old consoles. Well, that database eventually uh, went under in the early 2000s. They just stopped what they were doing. And we were also working on a book project uh, with the All Game Guide. Well, that got canceled. And so I thought, maybe I can take on something like this myself. And so in 2006, I went to the San Diego Comic-Con to the um, only San Diego Comic-Con I'd ever been to. And I met uh, McFarland Publishers there. And um, I talked to him, and I, I didn't really know how the whole thing worked. I said, hey, you know, if you guys ever, they, they publish reference books for entertainment, uh, you know, for pop culture, for movies, for sports, for all that kind of stuff. And I said, you know, if you ever need any contributor to these massive books, these big reference books, let me know. Well, three days after I got home, I heard back from McFarland Publishers. Nothing to do with Todd McFarland. <laughs> it's McFarland. It's just a, a publisher that's been around at least since the 80s that does a lot of entertainment books. And they're a literary publishing house, a smaller press. And I'd always had it in my mind that I wanted a Leonard Malton-type book. Um, but for video games, yeah. who Leonard Malton is, he writes movie reviews, capsule reviews in these big, thick books Well, way before IMDb. And as a kid, I loved Leonard Martin's books. And I always thought there should be a video game version of that. Hmm. So I basically set out to do that with the classic home video game series. And there's, it's a three-volume set. It started, you know, Atari, that era, the NES era, and then up to the Genesis era. And then with the Super Nintendo, instead of doing another one of these, you know, soft cover, black and white books through McFarlane, I switched publisher, publishers to Schiffer. Because they publish these big hardcover cover coffee ta uh, table books, like the ones you see wherever I am, um, over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
yeah, yeah. I'm going to reach for the books, but they're out of reach. But anyway, you can see them on the screen there. I just with the Super Nintendo in that era, I, I decided to do just full-on Super Nintendo. I was going to do a fourth book in the classic home video game series, which would have covered the Super Nintendo, Atari Jaguar, the 3DO, and CDI. But I had a hard time tracking down CDI and 3DO games or anybody that had any. With good reason. I'm going full-on Super Nintendo. Yeah. Retro game book publishing has changed drastically over the last few years. Back in the 2000s, hardly anyone was writing retro gaming books. And lately, many more people are doing it, and they're doing it bigger and more colorful and hardcovers and everything. And so, you know, you adapt with the times. And um, so I started to change publishers. And so that's where the SNES Omnibus began. So anybody that wonders why there's not a classic home video game, Volume 4, the SNES Omnibus basically took its place. And then so moving forward, I hope to do more Omnibus books. And I've got some other projects in the works. Call me up for that Game Boy one. I will. I will write about work <laughs> anytime, anywhere. Uh, and I think that's the one where you're a little tomato and you go through different puzzles. Um, I do want to say that, like the 3DO, that was like the most expensive video game console to release when it was released. It had the, the CD technology early before anybody else did, uh, but it was four hundred, five hundred dollars. If I recall, it was seven hundred dollars at this. Original, originally released it was $700 and it was just outrageous. And the Neo, had that? <laughs> Neo Geo was super expensive as well. And, uh, but yeah, the 3DO, it was advanced technology and, you know, the full motion video and all of that stuff. Yeah, the Wing Commander game. I was so excited. To yeah, play. Right. I realized I could just play it on my PC. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, it, that and the CDI were just, I don't, you know, they're obscured. I just couldn't get my hands on enough of those games. And so I've got a crazy, anyway. I've got a crazy portable system that uh, I don't think anybody's ever seen. I, I don't think I've ever even mentioned it in the 13 plus years of Geekscape. I've got this thing called a barcode battler. Do you know what that is? The barcode battler? Barcode battler. The barcode battler was this almost Game Boy looking system. And I just saw the thing in my storage unit. And I should bring it back. Uh, I should bring it out and throw some new batteries on it. But what the barcode battery would do, and this is, the barcode battler would do, is it was a text-based RPG game. That's all it was used for. It had a scanner for barcodes on the back. And what you would do is uh, it came with a couple cards with barcodes on them, and you would take a product barcode. It could be a barcode off of anything, but just a barcode. And you'd scan it in the camera, and based on what the barcode was, you would end up with stats for whatever monster you could fight or whatever weapon you could use or warrior you could summon to fight that monster. And I think it was released in 93, 94. Wow, that's early for that kind of thing. It's an ugly system. <laughs> I definitely have it. And I remember my friend Andy and I Xeroxing barcodes off of products and cutting them out in my father's office so they could tape them onto some cards to scan huh. into the game. But mostly with the game release, and it wasn't anything that, was, that, that lasted longer than a month in popularity. Really ahead of its time, though. Yeah. Riots in uh, Japan with people trying to go into stores and steal products because they had found out that those products had pretty powerful weapons. Or what powerful people, things huh? In the game. <laughs> Let me see. I'm just going to do a quick little barcode. That's amazing. That's also oh, a really have good nice thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why people cannot have nice games? I found it on Wikipedia. 
Uh, and uh, let me just throw it up on the images. Here's. I just need you to know that Heidi sneaking in the background is yeah, my can favorite. <laughs> Heidi can come on in. We're gonna break her the bad news of what we're gonna do with that back wall. Hi, uh, Heidi. Don't worry about it, Heidi. Heidi, please, this is an audio-based uh, art form. You cannot just come in and ruin it by yelling. Uh, we are talking about the barcode battler. Let me show you guys. This is the barcode battler. I don't know if you can see that. But oh, wow, that's impressive. I, I never knew about this. And you would end up, it's almost like Pokemon. You would end up with these different uh, little monsters. And uh, that's what it looked like. You end up cool. uh, this is putting these things in. Um, Heidi, we will discuss that as soon as the show is over. But here is what it looked like. You'd scan the barcodes into like a, a barcode scanner. And you'd end up with these stats, and that is the barcode battler. That's insane! Wow, I've never I guess I'll bring it out and do a little deep dive for y'all, y'all folks <laughs> later on. Mm, that's cool. Mm -hmm. uh, so, Brett, I just want to remind the geeks gave us to bounce over to uh, Indiegogo, search for the NES Omnibus. You can pre-order the book there. Go pre-order the book, and maybe pre-order the, the tier that will get you the other uh, SNES books. Um, and subscribe to his YouTube channel. It's really good. Subscribe to his YouTube channel. Here we go. Uh, what I like about Brett's YouTube channel is he just talks, matter of factly, he just talks like casually about these games. He's like, yeah, this one wasn't so good. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the, the gaming historian like structures it. He writes it out. He has different segments. Brett's like, yeah, I tried playing this game. It kind of stinks. It's not that good. This game was well, kind of cool. The gaming uh, historian, that's his job. <laughs> that's his job. What I like is when you were talking about Castlevania 2 and uh -huh. what a disappointment Castlevania 2 was, I was with you, brother. I was with you. It doesn't matter. You can turn into a freaking werewolf. Nobody cared. That game wasn't any good. I heard a lot. I got a lot of feedback on that episode. People telling me that's their favorite game of all time or their oh, favorite no. game. That's all good. I, I like to bring out you know, comments and I love different perspectives. You know, whatever game you love is a great game. Yeah, well, uh, Jim Pagarinelli just said, hey, Brett, I like Thanks, Jim. Yeah, I, Jim. You had to accept his lie that he beat TMNT. <laughs> <laughs> my gosh, well, you are going to get a troll done. Pandering <laughs> to my audience, and I will have it. I just I, recently uploaded a video because uh, I did my 50th Tales from a Retro Gamer episode. So I have some episode. I have some videos that are just uploads, you know, where I'm blogging. I'm just talking about some recent event and my opinion on it, or I'll just talk about just some goofy story, like I talk about a recent episode or just a recent upload where I'm just talking about this failed date I had because she did not like the arcades, that kind of thing. But once a week, uh, usually I'll do a Tales from Retro Game Road episode, you know, with actual post production and images and stuff, and you know, planned out. And I did just did my fiftieth one, and it's my fifty favorite retro games of all time. So you guys might. Oh, sick! Geekscape, mm -hmm. go on over to his YouTube channel. <laughs> it is uh, Brett it's White. Wife. Brett yeah. White, retro gamer. Go find it over there. Just Google that into your YouTube's, and you you'll find all that content. Brett, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it. We like that. Yeah, it's been, it's been fun. We like to talk trash with our audience. We like to talk <laughs> lying about beating TMNT. Uh, <laughs> yes. Jim, I know I'm going to get a text from you later about that one. Jim and I went to grad school. Um, okay. I've seen his skills in the school arcade. It was, no, no. no. 
it was not so good at Gauntlet Legends or Crazy Taxi. Putting him on blast. (laughs) On blast, Pelganelli. I played Crazy Taxi on the Dreamcast and loved it. Oh, nice. And uh, it's the reason I had to move out of New York. Uh, (laughs) I plunked so much of my, you know, tuition quarters into that thing. Uh, And uh, then I started trying to drive like it was real. Um, (laughs) Brett, thank you so much. Again, that's Brett Weiss, Retro Gamer. Search for him on YouTube. And more importantly, go find him on Indiegogo. Appreciate it. Pre-order his products. Thank you so much, Brett, for coming on the show. Uh, love you, buddy. Okay, so Katie, we got to talk. Oh, this okay. Elsa Esser, Geeks gave us who are late to the program. By the she, way, uh, it's Elsa Esser, but I like the attempt. You know what? I'm going to say it however my dumb brain is going to say it. Uh, El Sassy Pants to most. El Sassy Pants, let's go ahead and talk. Uh, how, how do you think? You, you're enjoying the, the co-host gig? Is it working for you? Is it not working for you? Uh, what do you got? You need notes? I, lo- I love that we're like doing like a post interview live for everyone yeah, to see. Well, I mean, it's just- they love their free product when they download it, they want it to be bonus sized. So, Katie, <laughs> are you enjoying being your geekscape? I am enjoying being a geekscapist. <laughs> okay, so, uh, geekscapist, you may, if you're watching this uh, live, you may notice that Heidi is now sitting behind me in the room. This is a blank room. We literally just moved into it today when Heidi's roommate moved out. I'm still convinced um, you're in a bunker, but yeah. But Heidi, I want you to uh, understand you can't hear Katie, but no, it's I okay. <laughs> doesn't matter. Uh, because we're going to tell you what's going to go down. Uh, <laughs> I'm choosing now to do this. <laughs> Katie is an actress as well, and she uses that room that she's in right now, which is full of toys, like this one will soon be. Uh, and she's got uh, a, her own self-tape area. And I think that was something that was very important to you when we moved into this blank room. Oh, yeah. This is self-tape. Look, look, at that, look at that. Now, you'll notice that Katie's self-tape setup is on a roller that can be pulled down. And, and that there's artwork behind it. It's a seamless. It is a nice little seamless yeah. roll down. She can do her self-tapes. It'll be great. I'm glad you like it because this is what will actually go on that wall behind the pull down that we will install for you. A giant subway sized John Claude Van Damme kickboxer poster. Subway size? It is the the kind of poster you would have in the subway system or on the buses. Heidi, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Kickboxer poster. The Geek Gabus have asked for it. They've demanded it. And uh, that is what we're going to do. We're going to have that, and then whenever you want to hide it. He's already denying you. She's straight up reading the comic. Um, Katie, we're getting some feedback. Jim says, Katie's a wonderful addition. She's a breath of fresh air who doesn't basically slander loyal viewers. (laughs) I think Jim's talking about me. Listen, Jim, I need you to upload that video so I can see the end of that game. Oh, that did yeah, good. Yeah. Um, okay. So we got we got our we, Katie is not just checking boxes here and doing some girl power yeah, stuff. Funny. We do not do that here on Geekscape. Funny woman. I'm, I'm the I'm the lady box. Just check that check that X box. Wait, wait, wait. Heidi still is talking, but only the Geekscapers can hear. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Please, this is an audio medium. We, we need you to not talk in the background. I, said I don't know what she's saying. Like, oh. we, I know. And knowing that you, they're not part of the conversation, please, we, I will, we, maybe you can go make dinner. Listen, so. <laughs> Help me out. Help me out, Help me out. <laughs> You better get your ass in the kitchen right now, Jonathan. 
Wow. I got my man cooking on the ba- the patio right now. Um, He's grilling. Geeks gave us this episode is falling apart real fast, but don't worry. <laughs> We're going to be back tomorrow. Same bad time, same bad channel here uh, on the stream with our good friend, Gray Drake. So I will actually be completely outnumbered as a dude. Uh, Gray Drake, she writes for Rotten Tomatoes. She's a film reviewer and she's a good friend. She hasn't been on the show in a long time. And I was like, hey, Gray. It's about time you and your crazy red hair come back on the show and hang out with Katie and I. We uh, we got to catch up with her. We love her, and she's going to be on the show tomorrow. So when you're watching the show and you're like, you know what? I don't got plans for Thursday. Set that notification. We'll be right back tomorrow. And if you're listening to this late on the podcast, I want you to re- leave that review for us. Go ahead. It's okay if you leave a review that says Katie's amazing. John, okay with that. Much can't wait. I subscribe to, to, for the day that Katie takes over the show. Might happen. Wait, what? Wait, what? I don't know. I don't know I've got like happening. five jobs going on right now. The pandemic. <laughs> you just described as the, the new normal. But uh, Geekscape, we love you. Share Geekscape with your friends. We enjoy having you here. Uh, and uh, I think that's it. Anything else uh, you want to uh, add, Katie? Uh, I'd like to add that Jonathan needs to get in the kitchen, uh, cook some meals for Heidi. Uh, I know she can't hear me, but I think she would agree that uh, you should make her a sandwich. Okay. Well, uh, Wizard of Video Games said, rip Jonathan. And Rick <laughs> said, where will Jonathan scream from when Heidi boots his ass to the curb? <laughs> Perhaps these are things to discuss tomorrow on a brand new Geekscape. And also, we're going on a road trip next week, so we're going to be doing Geekscapes But just like they're remote now, they're going to be from across America over the coming uh, two, three weeks. So uh, we're going to go ahead and do that. My guy just brought me a glass of wine. So, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And Big Yanks, who's been here from the beginning, before I knew any of you, says, I don't want to share you, John. And you know what, baby? Uh, You're going to have to because... It's it's a popular medium, and uh, I need the <laughs> listeners. So share Geekscape with your friends. Love you all. That's Geekscape for you. For Katie, the sassy pants, uh, mm-hmm. over and out, Geekscape oh, yeah. forever. <laughs> You're listening to the Geekscape Network.